Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Otter Fishing with me, Trevor Topfer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Otter Fishing. Thanks for joining us again. And today on the show, we've got uh, a very exciting guest, somebody I've been looking forward to talking with oh, since last year, since like so long ago. Uh, <laughs> Alex Smeal, who is the CEO and co-founder of Non-Fungible Labs, and they are doing some very, very exciting work that's going really, really well in the NFT uh, metaverse space. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Alex. I'm looking forward to getting stuck in and hearing all about what's going on over at uh, Non-Fungible Labs. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Uh, and this is our first podcast recording for the new year, even though you guys are probably listening to it a few weeks in. Uh, but Happy New Year to everybody. Um, so, Alex, let's dive in. I noticed over the break that uh, there was some some big changes in the uh, non-fungible labs projects and some some rapid increase in floor prices and a lot of volume going through. So uh, things are looking pretty good. Good start to twenty twenty two for you guys. Yeah, it's been it's been really exciting. It was um, honestly a little bit unexpected. Um, I mean, we've just been really powering through for what feels like years, but it's it's almost five months since we launched now. Um, and it's been an incredible journey. I think a lot of other projects in the space fall into this trap of, you know, really going hard on influences, um, whereas we've taken a far more organic approach and it's been really good because it rewards those people that have kind of believed in us from the start mm. and have come on this journey with us. Um, it's built this really incredible culture and community around the project. And then just all of a sudden, we've seen everyone jumping in and, and you know, I know a lot of the, the All Blacks and um, Black Caps and those sorts of people have been been jumping on board. And I think it was from just before Christmas, I think the floor price was about 1.2 ETH uh, up to, I think it's about 2.3 ETH now. And, and it all kind of shot up um, right around New Year's. So when, you know, we've finally taken our first, like, break since everything started <laughs> finally switch off and then all of these messages popping up like oh my god what's going on and it's like okay great well at least we don't have to like do anything to keep the community yeah take the rest of the year off mate exactly exactly like <laughs> all having a good time so um and it was across the board as well i think um you know with what we've done with the partnership with party bears um but then also you know our partners at altered state machine and what they're doing um, with artificial intelligence and NFTs, you know, it's something that I've, you know, from the start been blown away by, by what they're pulling together, and they're really leading the industry. And I think, you know, people are really starting to to take notice. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, an exciting year, that's for sure. Definitely. Um, so, most of the people that'll be listening to this are probably pretty new, as is everybody. I mean, a year ago, nobody had any fucking idea what an NFT was, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so this is a whole new industry that has blown up in the last, I guess, six to, to eight months. Uh, yeah. So maybe uh, just for the benefit of the people listening who have just spent the last minute going, what the hell are these two talking about? And <laughs> are they even speaking English? Um, and yeah. I'm sure you've had to have this, I'm sure you've answered this question in, in probably every podcast you've done in the last six months. But let's go back and, and, and try and, and, and put some context around you know, what is an NFT and, and, and why is this space so exciting? Why are people so, uh, you know, it, it, the Google trend data is showing that NFTs is probably or arguably the most discussed topic in the world right now. It seems to be more popular than even 
crypto, which is strange because it's a crypto project um, mm -hmm. with Facebook's big signal uh, towards the end of last year and, and changing their name to Meta. And, and uh, you know, I want to get into that a little bit and get your thoughts on that. But let's start right from the beginning. So what is an NFT and why is this such an interesting space? Yeah, so it's all it's all essentially built on on blockchain, which most people will know as you know Bitcoin as the kind of original blockchain and cryptocurrency. Um, and the whole movement towards cryptocurrency and blockchain was really about decentralization. It was about taking the power out of centralized systems like banks um, and putting it into the hands of the people. Um, that's obviously well, fourteen years ago now that that Bitcoin launched and there's been a lot that's happened in the space since but um if you look at something like bitcoin or ethereum or any of the other cryptocurrencies they are fungible just like money is in the sense that it can be exchanged for something that is essentially the same whether it's one bitcoin for another or whether it's twenty dollars for four five dollar notes it is inherently the same thing mm -hmm. uh, so the concept of non-fungibility is that you know one thing is not equivalent to something else uh, you know you can apply that to anything from a house uh, to a piece of art to human beings you know we're not inherently the same and we're not you know substitutable crispr crispr uh, might have different thoughts on that but let's let's leave exactly so this is you know it's it's a really interesting development because um ownership of digital assets is going to be something that's that becomes far more prevalent as we kind of become more and more digital. It's interesting to track the progress of um, immersive interconnectivity with the, the growth of the internet through, you know, web one was the very kind of basic, um, you know, desktop browser sort of experience. Uh, web two is, you know, when we got into iPhone smart devices and that sort of thing, to where we are was Web3, which, you know, we'll delve into a bit more when it comes to all things metaverse. Um, but it's essentially this point, uh, this this idea of breaking down the barriers between, you know, social media, game environments, um, and really allowing people to create a unique digital representation of themselves in the internet that it can exist in these environments where you can go to, to play games, to have meetings, to connect with people all over the world, and to form communities that aren't inherently restricted by a geographical location. Now, when you think of like ownership of, say, like a digital piece of art, for example, and which is kind of what started the whole NFT craze was the art scene, there's always this argument of, well, you know, I can just right-click and save that piece of art, and that's mine now. And sure, you know, you can. You can also go and take a photo of a famous painting, but it doesn't mean that you own it. And if anything, that whole mindset of, oh, I'm going to, to copy-paste this and then promote it everywhere is actually Beneficial. rewarding me because you're just giving more profile to me as the actual owner of that asset. Um, now, until really, you know, a, a couple of years ago, there wasn't a good means of verifying ownership of digital assets because, um, you know, it was all run through centralized services. Those things can be hacked um, and that data can be can be messed with. Um, so through the, the invention of non-fungible tokens, which are run through a decentralized global consensus of everyone agrees that this person owns this, there's a full transparent record of, when it was sold, how much it was sold for, who those owners were, 
when it was created and who it was created by, um, it's it's really just ignited this incredible opportunity for um, ownership and trading of digital assets, which, as I said, started with art because finally digital artists could, you know, sell their work in a kind of verified way that actually you are the only unique owner or, you know, this is one of 10 of these unique sort of prints um, to the point now that it's really bleeding into to everything beyond that in, in terms of the metaverse. And I think it's, you know, a lot of people are dismissive of it, but then a lot of people are dismissive of, of you know, why would I ever need a, a mobile phone or a laptop or an email address? Um, and really, when it comes to representing yourself and, and your, your digital identity, it's actually more visible than your physical identity. Think about how many people you interact with physically on a daily basis compared to how many people at any given moment can go and look at your digital presence. Mm. And so if you have, just for example, sticking with the art piece, um, if you have an incredible piece of art on your wall at your house, not a whole lot of people are going to see that unless you're bringing friends around, um, you know, for a barbecue or whatever. Whereas if you have an incredible piece of digital art, whether that's just displayed on your Instagram or whether it's displayed in your metaverse environment, the entire world can see that and see that you are the owner. And that, in that sense, ownership of digital assets and verifying legitimately who owns those is incredibly important because this is very much becoming, you know, our big publicly visible kind of identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, it feels like a lifetime ago for me, but back in the mid 2000s, I was a, a part of a, we, we had this startup where, you know, the, the, the big side at the time, which was Web2, Web2 web two is, is, is what happened. Uh, Facebook was still a Stanford University experiment. There was a really big site that was blowing up all over the world called MySpace, uh, which people probably remember. I don't know if it even is still online. Um, and, you know, Apple was changing the game. The iPhone kind of came out. The What was interesting was the iPhone was one part of the puzzle, but the App Store and iTunes was the, the, the full part of that picture, right? So, yes, the, the iPhone was a way of carrying around a, a laptop effectively in your pocket, but it was the advent of the app universe and how third parties could, could I guess, participate on the platform that they'd built. And we, we started this, uh, this music industry-focused uh, platform where we tried to combine the two. So we had this Web2 social media kind of space where you could build a profile, build a community, engage with that community, and then we bolted on this sort of digital player where you could you know, upload your digital content um, and offer it for sale. So it was like a marketplace. Uh, and we, we thought this was a really clever idea and we built this out. But the problem we ran into was that there was no way of verifying or, or claiming ownership over those files. And so it was rife. Everybody was just stealing everything and we couldn't make any money. So we couldn't get this platform to become uh, profitable because people were just not prepared to pay for digital assets. And, mm-hmm. and we were, at the time, we were watching this uh, technology that was being developed very closely, which never even became a thing. You don't, probably don't even know what MP20 was, but there was a, you know what an MP3 is and an MP4 course, is, but there, there, was, there was this digital format they were working on at the time called an MP20, which was supposed to be a secure digital file or a secure system uh, um, uh, way of 
capturing a digital file that you would have to buy and sell and trade and couldn't be copied or replicated. There was a, you know, we're working with encryption technology and anyway, never, never, never got off the ground. But we saw that as the saving grace to the music industry. And then you fast forward kind of, what are we, 15 years later or whatever it is. Now we have this uh, decentralized network where uh, hundreds of thousands of computers all, all over the world that are participating in the blockchain are a source of validation. Uh, and it's, you know, my understanding is it's sort of randomized and anonymized. So, you know, it would take a, a pretty clever hacker, although I'm sure somebody will come along and do it at some point, but to figure out which uh hundreds of thousands of computers are validating a particular file in order to fund it, in order to make it uh, or copy it or replicate it or steal it. Um, so now we have this opportunity. And then when I saw the whole NFT space blowing up, I went, I, I, I was suddenly, you know, thrust back 15 years going, holy shit, this was what we were hoping, this is what we were looking for 15 years ago. And now it's here. Yeah. And, and And so I really feel like We've started with art because, look, it makes sense, right? I've got this digital picture. I've created it. I can, I can store that on the on the blockchain, the ledger, and say, you know, I was the first person. I can kind of copyright it by being the first person to mint that 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 file on the blockchain, and then mm -hmm. I can have this validated process where I can trade, buy, and sell it. So it lends itself to art really, really well, and it's amazing that these digital artists who, for the last decade or so, have had fuck all opportunity to make any money and have all had to go and get part time jobs or full time jobs doing something else to pay their bills, and they're now suddenly in a space where they can earn an income, create an income, earn royalties, and and effectively participate in some kind of creative economy. So, am I right in thinking music's the next big one to come in, and then we're going to start seeing, you know, Snoop Dogg's next album? There'll be a, a single version of it as an NFT, and that'll be yeah. Like it's well, so interesting. Yeah, you touched on something there that I didn't raise before, which is the idea of royalties. Um, and this is something that's been really powerful about this technology as well is that you can program a share of any sale that will go back to the original creator. Um, and that's something that, you know, you think of traditional artists, so many of them are never famous until, you know, after they die and have sold all of their work for pennies. Um, so if that sort of system was in place then, you know, the families, instead of often ending up, you know, having to fight in lawsuits to try and even claim a small portion of, of that fortune would actually be looked after ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. um, music is... Music's a really, really big one, and it's something that we kind of went with when we launched Fluff World, um, which you know we'll delve into to more in a little bit. Um, but it was something that we saw really as an opportunity to merge lots of different things that are already happening in the space. Some people were doing music, some people were doing art, some people were doing kind of two D avatars, some people were starting to dabble in three D, and we really brought that all in together. Um, but in terms of revolutioning, revolutionizing the music industry as a whole. There is so much opportunity here, and I think really the likes of Spotify have a couple years max to adapt or die. Mm -hmm. um, but it is such a complex beast with so many people with vested interests to keep the status quo and so many people fighting against them that it's not as easy as anyone kind of thinks it is. The amount of people that have kind of reached out and oh, I have this great idea around reshaping ownership of music and that and it's like okay well let me know when you've broken through all of the legal mountain of uh, mountain of paperwork and how that will even remotely look like in terms of the structure um it is definitely coming it's going to take a lot of work and there'll be a lot of people who i mean there's already a lot of people that are doing it i think the first one i saw was 
um, Kings of Leon, their When You See Yourself album, uh, which launched, I think was February, March last year, they did a, an NFT version, which is NFT Yourself. Um, and it basically included the full album and there was different tiers that you could get, um, some that were just kind of some basic uh, digital add-ons, whether that's some bonus content, up to the golden ticket tier, which was for the rest of their existence, you get uh, you know free backstage passes to any of their shows um, with a chauffeur service, you and three friends, meet and greet, merch bags, all of that sort of thing. And this is what's beautiful about the, the technology is it actually allows this much more um, direct means of communication and community uh, with, you know, these sort of people that, you know, back in the day, if you found an artist before they became really big, you only really had bragging rights to your friends. You know, mm-hmm. there was no way of you actually kind of investing in them or kind of achieving this sort of super fan status um, in those early days. Whereas now, and, and it, it still hasn't quite been done yet, at least to what I've seen, but there really is this opportunity to build out this new Web3 uh, level of technology that empowers artists by directly engaging and selling to their fans, cutting out a lot of these middlemen who are soft and clipping so much of the ticket mm-hmm. um, and really kind of, you know, just opening a much more direct means of communication, content sharing, reward and community between, you know, the artists and their core community. Mm. So are, are you seeing or are you suspicious of um, significant change in power status? I mean, you know, back in, in you know, that, that project that I was working on back in the mid-2000s, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there was the big four, right? So there was the big four, Universal, Sony, Warner, um, you know, these, these big four kind of conglomerates that had kind of bought up and controlled and owned most of the content uh, that mm-hmm. is available on the face of the earth. Do you think that this, the, the, the decentralization of kind of everything, right? Like I, I can't think of a single thing anymore. You know, people talk about fiat currency and I laugh. I said, well, when was the last time you had fucking 20 bucks cash in your pocket? You just don't carry yep. cash. Everything's no. digital now. So, And the uh, thing as well, like you look at what happened during COVID, the US Treasury printed an additional 40% of their circulating supply. Like so they just that, added that a couple says, of zeros to a, to a screen somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's just, that's obscene to know that, oh, actually, no, the reason your house is suddenly worth so much more isn't because your house is worth so much more. It's because the dollar is worth so much less. Mm-hmm. So that money that you're actually getting paid, which hasn't increased, is means that you're actually getting paid significantly less than you were a few years ago. Mm. But the way that that's sold to you is very different. Um, and but as you say, yeah, I don't I don't see an industry that isn't going to be touched by decentralization in the long term. You know, we're already uh, seeing it happen with event ticketing, um, DeFi, decentralized finance. You know, allowing these people to share to provide loans directly to other people without these middlemen. Um, and obviously, you know what's happening around arts and entertainment. Uh, it's, I think, a lot of those big companies. Have I mean that the, there will always be a place for some of the big IP brands, um, and there will, you know, there will always be some agencies out there. But I think a lot of agencies, if they don't adapt to this new generation, will will quickly become irrelevant. 
so is, is non-fungible labs the Warner Brothers of the future? Like, is it is it now a case of rather than, I guess, licensing or, or, or contractually kind of taking some sort of ownership over the, that content and then licensing it and publishing it, you become a facilitator of, you know, the, I, the smart I contract like, that, that allows you to do it? Is that, is that I what? like the term decentralized Disney. Yeah. Um, but it's really, and this is why, you know, we see so many other people jumping into the space and trying to do what we did with Fluff World um, and failing. Um, and I mean, yes, a lot of, you know, like what the team here in New Zealand, uh, Vivi are doing with some of the NFT releases that they're doing in partnership with the likes of Warner Brothers, Marvel, Disney, creating these really unique collectibles are incredible. But at the end of the day, people are buying these more for nostalgia because mm-hmm. they, you know, they have great memories around this brand as opposed to something that they feel like that they have a piece of ownership of Mm. you know you can buy this this model it doesn't give you any rights to do what you really want with it whereas if you buy any character from our collection you essentially have a a non-exclusive but fully commercial license to that character to create whatever you want and you know in a traditional ip world that would be you've seen as kind of heresy because you're like you're giving away rights to all of these yeah, characters I, like you I, have I no just control bought spider-man on it. you wait till the yeah. movie comes out yeah. exactly but uh, <laughs> this is more you know if we empower people and let them create their own narratives for these characters we don't really need to do much in terms of advertising because mm. people are out there you know shouting our names from the rooftops because they're so their heavily invested as well in. right yeah exactly and it's built just this incredible community. We have people that are, um, you know, there's a, a group in the US called the Hume Collective who uh, bought one of our fluffs named Angel Baby and have turned it into uh, the world's first Metastar. It's, uh, they produced, used to produce songs, write and produce for a lot of kind of top 100 artists. But then, you know, there's a lot of issues that they'd face around, you know, trying to, work with those artists you know a lot of it gets diluted they don't have so much kind of creative control and then obviously a lot of the funds you know the the revenue doesn't end up in their pocket whereas if they create an avatar into uh, a meta star um they're able to really kind of just use that as a distribution channel and it could be any number of artists that are kind of coming through that channel um but it can live forever you know, this is a rock star that could literally live forever and continue creating music mm-hmm. um, and, you know, perform in a whole range of environments. You've seen, obviously, like the, what was it, about five years ago, the um, Tupac hologram mm-hmm. at Coachella. You know, there is more and more of this bleeding between the, the digital and physical worlds and that merging. Um, and so this, to work with someone like that where they've kind of, really got on board with what we're doing in it and are bringing an incredible wealth of talent to this and our community just love it like they feel like they're literally watching the birth of the next generation of pop star it's amazing huh and you know where were you a year ago alex when uh you know because i don't know a lot about you we've only met once or twice um yeah but I, I did a little bit of digging around and I can see that you were heavily involved in a few humanitarian projects and still are, you know, mm-hmm. how did this all happen for you? Like what, what was the catalyst that made you go, yeah, this is where we're at now and I'm going all in on this. 
Yeah, so actually a year ago I was um, still in London, um, actually probably right about this time scrambling to try and book a flight back to New Zealand because of a family emergency. Um, I had been living in London for about eight years at the time. Um, you know, came from background of working in hospitality um, at Chibo and Parnell, if anyone knows it here in mm -hmm. New Zealand, um, and then obviously studying, studying business at the University of Auckland, went into project management uh, in a tech startup before moving overseas and, and then trying my hand in a range of different industries over in London. Um, and that was everything from, you know, I was working as the, the right-hand man to the international development manager for Michael Watt, who's an incredible Kiwi philanthropist, um, working in music, entertainment, um, there's a whole range of investments uh, and also, as you know, uh, you mentioned some philanthropic projects and the refugee crisis across Greece and Lebanon um, before I moved back into another role, working in uh, project managing a nightclub redevelopment and then moved into becoming uh, director of operations for a company called Studio XYZ, which is a, a creative agency focused on how you drive system change in companies and really how it comes from defining the company culture and the company why from the start. And uh, there's a great speaker by the name of Simon Sinek, who's, you know, as mm -hmm. a leader, you need to start with why. If you want to create a brand that people will believe in and people will invest in, don't start with what you do, start with why you're doing it. And that's never to make money. That's just a byproduct. The why needs to be something that you really resonate with deeply. And, you know, it, it, for something like Apple, it can be as simple as think differently, you know, um, and that's the reason that Apple could suddenly come out and say, hey, we're, we're releasing a car. Whereas if Dell turned around and said, hey, we're releasing a car, you'd be like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely kind of bounced through a lot of um, roles and, and had a very broad experience in that sense. And Especially, I mean, even just hospitality, I found was such an incredible experience because you work in these environments where you have to interact with a whole range of different people and you kind of have to read them as soon as they come through the door and, and try and figure out what kind of person they are and how they want to be treated. And I think no matter what you're doing at the end of the day, it comes down to some form of customer service and mm. hospitality is one of the most pure forms of customer service. So to be in that environment, especially at Chibo where, you know, it's a very fine dining establishment that ha often hosts some of the, the most wealthy people in New Zealand, but we're, you know, we're taught to just treat them like anyone else because, you know, it's, it's more personable and more fun. Um, that was an incredible experience for me in terms of getting to, to where we are now. I mean, I first started dabbling in crypto in probably 2014, uh, 2015 and actually had like like many people in the space um you know had a, a bit of trial by fire where i was burnt in a big way um lost a, a large amount of money not all of it my own um in uh the hack of cryptopia which is a new zealand based exchange uh i think it was 2018 was hacked and it's actually the largest theft in new zealand history um that you know, really kind of scared me away from the industry for a while because I think, and this is something that we're, there's still a lot of work that needs to go into. And the great thing about uh, decentralization and DeFi 
um, is that it empowers the individual, but also with that empowerment comes your, you know, your own control of security and everything. It's the old Spider-Man, you know, with great mm. power comes great responsibility. If my bank account at ASB gets hacked, I call up it's ASB ASB's and to sort it out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If my wallet gets hacked, and that's only ever going to happen if I do something stupid and give away my private key or something, then um, that's entirely on me, you know. The, the nature of the blockchain is that I can't force anyone else to hand over ownership of anything. Mm. So there's no police in that sense that can go and say, hey, you know. Is that coming, back. do you think? Or is it not just not possible with the decentralized? Because, I don't. You know, right now, I mean, I was I was victim. Like, I guess there's so many people do that. It's almost like a rite of passage when you first start getting into this NFT space and you discover Discord mm-hmm. and you start hanging out in these communities and you, you're snipping around for the next big project. Someone yep. eventually sends you a link that you think is the right thing. It looks like the right thing. You click the link, you give them some money, and then you realize that it's absolute horseshit and you've just lost a few hundred bucks or you know, worse. Yeah, It feels yeah. like that's almost a rite of passage, right? For everybody that gets into to the NFT space, you're going to get scammed at some point unless you're hyper vigilant. Um, yeah. Is there um, any way to I've, police it, do you think? Yes and no. I think it's, you know, it's a fundamental element of the blockchain in that you can't change it unless say on if you're on a proof of work system like bitcoin then you need to have over 50 percent of the computational power in that global network to be able to change anything or if you're on a proof of stake network like many of the the newer cryptocurrencies and what ethereum is moving towards you need to own over 50 percent of the entire circulating supply of that currency which then by that point you know it's not really decentralized anymore mm. um so it is that trade-off of you either have proper decentralization or it's centralized and then you can have the stronger controls on it. Now, that's not to say that there aren't potential solutions that can be implemented, but I think it needs to be done more at the, the front end of it. So say if you have, uh, if you use, you know, a popular wallet um, extension like MetaMask, um, which just works as like a Chrome or Brave browser or mobile app, um, you know, often you'll just get a pop-up and it just says, okay, do you want to sign this transaction? You don't really know what you're signing most of the time. Um, and that's why if you ever get those pop up and you don't know what you're signing, just don't do it. Like if it's, it needs to be directly after, okay, I want to sell this, then sign. Yeah. But even just to have on a, on a software like that, something that would actually read the transaction with more detail and say, hey, actually, by the way, this by signing this, it gives them the rights to do X, Y, and Z. Mm. Now, you know, if you're wanting to sell or transfer, say, a single NFT, then it would make sense. To, it's like, okay, yeah, that seems fine. Like signing this will allow them to just move that one NFT, whatever that's that's expected. Whereas if you're signing something and it's like, oh, well, by the way, this will let them clean out your entire wallet, like that should probably come up with a red flag on the front end, which yeah. is something that just doesn't happen at the moment. And I think there is a lot more, there's a lot that needs to be done on both sides in terms of just the education, um, you know, ensuring people understand the responsibility and the risks that come with it, but then also trying to provide additional tools on the front end that have a little bit more of a kind of um, information around them and can kind of highlight those red flags. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a strange one, but then 
it almost feels normal now, like since Web 2 in my mind, but I've been you know, very deeply immersed. You know, Web 2 was a game changer for me. Uh, I think that was the moment where I, I signed off on anything that came before that. You know, I have a similar background to you with the exception that I did a, a, a some, I did some time, <laughs> literally, uh, in the corporate space in pharmaceuticals, of all things, learning how, mm-hmm. you know, soulless uh, agreed machines work. Um, but it feels like the Wild West is the norm now in, in the, the digital space. And, uh, you know, because security is perpetually catching up, right? It's never... You can never preempt what's coming. You've always got to play patch and, and move, patch and move, patch and move with uh, with with cybersecurity. And now we're in this, you know, hyper uh, accelerated state. Like, you know, they talk about the singularity and all of this stuff and the, the exponential growth curve of how how tech seems to be evolving. Um, and I'm I'm a firm believer that we're beyond the point of singularity. That that's happened. We don't even we're not even as a as a global consciousness aware of the fact that the machines are smarter than us now and are, and, and are actually you know dictating our lives. This could be a simulation. Um, <laughs> More than likely, More you than know, likely if you is, look yeah, at the, the odds, yeah, yeah, yeah. probability yeah. is that it is. Um, so you know if. Technology is moving so fast. Cybersecurity is never going to keep up. Um, do you? Do, does it feel to you like this is just going to be the norm? Like you know, people are going to have to police themselves. You know, for all of these people, like you were talking about before, the All Blacks are jumping into this. To me, I think the big one's going to come with hedge funds. I don't mm-hmm. think hedge funds have cottoned on to the NFT thing yet. I don't think that the world money, which that, is largely controlled by hedge are. funds. Um, they're they're quickly starting to to notice more and more VCs definitely are, are piling in by the day. Um, well, when when these hedge funds, because I mean I you know I, I'm a very 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 small player, and I've only been going since September, but mm-hmm. I've made more trading NFTs since September than I have in any other investment that I've ever done in my life previously. So if I'm mm-hmm. able to do that, and I didn't know what an NFT really was, well a year ago I kind of. You know, Gary V started talking about NFTs maybe a year ago, uh, and that was, you know, at the time I hadn't quite gotten sick and tired of Gary V's diatribe, and I was still kind of tuned into Gary V a little bit, and yeah. uh, and and I, and I sort of became, I guess, consciously aware of them. But certainly since September, I've managed to do that, and I'm thinking, I don't know, like I'm not even interested in buying a house. Up until September, I was focused headlong on I need to buy a house, I need to get uh, into the property game in Auckland, and then my you know financial future is assured. Now I couldn't think of a dumber investment with my money. Now, than, now you, you want know, to buy a borough, buying a fucking right? house. I want to mint. I want. <laughs> I want to create a project and mint something in the. Uh, you know, I, I actually think smart contracts are really interesting, and that. Right now we're in this art space, but it's rapidly going to permeate into every other industry. And I think the next lowest hanging fruit outside of entertainment and culture is going to be anything that's legally binding makes sense to be on a fucking decentralized ledger. Like Mm -hmm. DeFi is obviously massive, but, you know, I think about the way we buy and sell shit, you know, real estate is a huge one like if real estate isn't on the blockchain in 12 months time there's something wrong something broken mm-hmm. right like uh so with all of these changes coming in i think it's only a matter of time until you know fiat currencies start plummeting because cryptocurrencies are replacing them in terms of utility 
and the world's money starts pouring into this space from an investment point of view. So yeah, I imagine that hedge funds are coming in and they're talking to people like you going, hey, we've got $100 million and we want to be on the next fluff mint. You know, um, mm-hmm. can, we, can we fund it and own a piece of it, please? Uh, I'm sure you're having those sorts of conversations. but uh, And in general, the answer is often no. Yeah, you, don't you can, it, right? you can try and mint like everyone else. Go and fucking create <laughs> your own thing, you idiot, you know? Well, uh, and this is the, the beauty of it. I mean, as you say, you know, there's like things like real estate moving to blockchain, it's, it's inevitable. Um, I don't know if it will necessarily happen on the same way that it is currently and whether it would be an NFT on on Ethereum because the last thing you'd want is to have your wallet hacked or, you know, you accidentally compromise your wallet and then you're like, oh, shit, my house deed is in there. Oh, now some hacker has got some, my house. <laughs> there'd be, there'd be some, some terrible thing. Imagine if you could see, you know, some of the, the, the world's rich list, you know. Imagine being able to see jack ma's fucking metamask wallet right like <laughs> his open sea account and everything yeah, that he's yeah. bought and sold you know like it just yeah. doesn't it, it, it's crazy to think that this is going to become the reality that your financial status your financial activity you know everything that you do is essentially going to be open and transparent for everybody to see as soon as they know you know your username or your wallet address or, or whatever it is yeah. that defines that yeah um so, I realized yeah. that we actually, we, we didn't, I got right up to the start of the journey and then we kind of drifted off track there. So mm-hmm. that, uh, in terms of kind of how we got to where we are and even yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. what yeah. is Fluff World and, and mm-hmm. non-fungible labs. Um, so as I said, you know, a year ago, um, well, we're still working as for this, this uh, Studio XYZ working in system change for trying to define how we build ethical companies um, and then had to, to rush back to New Zealand um, Unfortunately, my, my dad, who's late stage Parkinson's, was uh, in a very dire situation. You know, we thought he only had a few weeks left. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to be expedited through EMIQ, uh, well, through the, the, the booking process, um, but still had my two weeks in isolation. And then, fortunately enough, in those two weeks, he, he rebounded and, and got better. And so suddenly I found myself back in New Zealand after having spent a year in lockdown in London kind of unsure of what to do with myself except to maybe go to a festival and enjoy some you know actual <laughs> freedom again yeah um and then quickly realized okay i'm, I'm probably not going to go back to london anytime soon so i needed to start packing down my life there remotely uh, but then also look for opportunities here and at the time i reached out to, to brooke howard smith who you know let's say most kiwis will probably know um he just seems to be everywhere that man and he, he never sleeps. Was, I've, I've known Brooke for a little while now, and he, he just doesn't fucking sleep. The, the guy just lives on Red Bull. He's fucking everywhere. He, he pops up normally when I'm going to bed at about 2 a.m. He That's when he pops up he online. His, and that's when he hits his, you know, that's his happy place, right? Two exactly. to six is, uh, is uh, his happy place. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we jumped on a call and were discussing the different things he was working on, Otterfish being one of them, um, and looking at an opportunity for me to support. And, Nothing quite fit um, until uh, a, a, the week afterwards. I was over at a friend's place, uh, Jesse Metcalf, who's a friend of mine for about 14 years, um, who's also creative director and co-founder of Non-Fungible Labs. Um, and we were just ex- dig- really digging into the world of NFTs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've always had a feeling Jesse and I would work well together because, you know, he's just got an incredible, crazy creative brain. And I'm very kind of logical and good at refining things down into a polished product um 
And so as we were there trying to figure out how we break into it, I then get a text from Brooke saying, hey, I've found the project. I'll call you first thing Monday and we'll kick off. And that was essentially, you know, non-fungible labs. We, we started there. Um, we, we were toying with a couple other projects, one called Unstoppable Art Machine, which was about how we bring physical street art into the digital realm through mm-hmm. an engaging and fun treasure hunt. Um, and then we soon saw that what I was doing with Jesse and what I was doing with Brooke and Aaron from Centrality, um, Andrew Beats and Matt Hunter and a few others, um, it made sense to just bring it all into one because, you know, to have a creative powerhouse like Jesse on board was was kind of the secret sauce that we were missing. Mm-hmm. And this was right around the time that the Board Ape Yacht Club launched. Um, I think, you know, everyone in the, in the NFT space or even who's kind of remotely heard of the NFT space will probably know three names. Uh, one is Beeple, um, who sold his, his piece for $69 million at the start of the year. Yeah. Uh, before that, he'd only ever been paid about $100 for one of his artworks. Um, another is, is CryptoPunks, who were not officially, but very much regarded as like the original NFT project. They're the Bitcoin um, of, uh, of NFTs, right? Kind of. There are, are actually a couple that it came out were actually prior to them, but they were very much, you know, hold that, hold that, um, that title. And then Board Ape Yacht Club, who kind of launched this new age of of NFT avatars and communities. And that's what Board Ape Yacht Club really kickstarted was the community mm-hmm. aspect of it, mm-hmm. which is now the most fundamental element to a great NFT project. Lava Labs and CryptoPunks, they basically, you know, put them out and said, you know, there you go, done. Most of them were given away for free. Um, and it just kind of became a badge of honor to hold one of those because they were the first and they were worth nothing for years. Um, whereas with Board Apes, when they launched, they built a strong roadmap around, yes, you know, this is a collection of of these avatars, these ape avatars um, with some bit of story behind them. But it's all about this community that we're building, this global community, which you need to own one of the apes to be a part of, and you get access to all of these exclusive things. Um, and we saw what they were doing there and were just kind of blown away by, well, I mean, what they had done, but also we kind of saw where they had missed the mark a little bit in the sense that, and this was, this was well before Facebook's meta rebrand and all of that sort of basic publicity stuff really and an attempt to stay relevant. Um, but <laughs> they, they, um, you know, we're, we were already looking at, okay, the metaverse is coming. It's been accelerated drastically because of COVID and lockdown. People are interacting more and more online and they want more in- immersive, cool environment to do this in. But if we're creating avatars that people use to represent themselves in the metaverse, then it doesn't make sense to be 2D because then what? You're stuck to a wall and that's mm-hmm. kind of it. Um, or, you know, you fall through a drain or something. Um, whereas, so what we saw was, okay, let's, let's try and take this a step further and make them 3d. Well, if they're 3d, then why don't we animate them? Well, if they're animated, then why don't we make them dancing to some unique music? Okay. Well then let's get some producers on board as well and start bringing in all of these different elements. Um, and it was a really incredible, we, we really built a, just, a, a multimedia, um, kind of living distribution platform from the get-go um which was something that no one else in the space had done yet and i think even very few have even yet to achieve since 
we've seen a lot come out of it that have tried to copy us and um, yeah, a lot, very few have succeeded. And I think beyond that, what we did, which was quite different was we, um, so I guess just to give some more context, so, you know, fluffs for anyone who hasn't seen them are these 3D uh, sort of rabbit humanoid characters um, that essentially exist as, you know, that you can view them as this sort of short animated video of them dancing to a unique piece of music, but essentially they're built as a metaverse-ready avatar that can then be ported into different game environments mm -hmm. um, so that you can use this character as a representation of yourself in a whole range of different digital worlds, games, that sort of thing. Um, everything from Snapchat filters to, to you know, Decentraland and these bigger game environments. Um, and we've now released uh, party bears and thingies as kind of secondary elements of this collection because you know you can't have a world with what just one character. But fluffs will always be the the kind of gold standard, mm -hmm. the yeah yeah the the top tier um, access. And this was this was another thing that, as I say, you know, shifted the focus from art where I'm just buying an NFT because it's this piece of art and what I see in the image is the NFT to this NFT is my ticket of access to this community that gives mm -hmm. me so much more. We have now, you know, um, we've done plenty of like free airdrops to our community as well, because the last thing that you want to do is when you create a community, build a bunch of value, but the only way that person's able to realize that value is to sell their NFT and then they're no longer in the community. So it's, it puts you in that tricky position where we're now, okay, we just want to keep delivering value to the community that they can monetize mm -hmm. without having to sell out of the community. And we also took a very organic approach to it where we didn't engage any, you know, traditional influences or anything like that, um, which was took a while for Brooke to get his head wrapped around that one as, a, <laughs> as an agent himself. <laughs> yeah, That's what yeah. he does. He's the, um, he's the king but, of, uh, of influences in, in New Zealand, certainly. And, and what we saw there was, you know, we had a big initial surge just after launch, but then it very much dropped down. It was just a very slow, steady growth. And what that did was shake out all of the people that were only there to try and flip it for some money mm -hmm. and were very kind of just focused on, on that side of things. And it built a really cool, engaged community of, I think, probably one of the most diverse communities in the space. Um, I'd say with around 35% female, which, you know, crypto is traditionally a very male-dominated industry. Um, and, you know, we just, we were very um, intentional on building a very inclusive, diverse culture around it all so that, you know, people now come in and, and in any given moment, you can jump into our Discord and just see all of these incredible people in there and if a new person comes in with questions, you know, everyone jumps in to try and help them as opposed mm -hmm. to a lot of these spaces where it's like, oh, shut up, you idiot. Like, yeah, you know, welcome to yeah. do your own research. Yeah. 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 So all of this kind of came together to just build this incredible community, which, you know, as I said, for months was just ticking over. We were working hard in the background to keep delivering more and more. Um, we, start, we started throwing a few parties in the US. We did one at Art Basel, Miami. Um, we have another one coming up in February. Um, we are going to be at, well, we are actually the Metaverse title sponsor for South by Southwest uh, in Austin, Texas in March. Mm -hmm. um, 
And did did we, Mark Zuckerberg get pissed off about that? Or? <laughs> we beat him to the punch on that one. And as I say, this this all kind of, well, the, the, you know, they, they did their whole rebrand kind of halfway through this journey for us. So mm-hmm. that suddenly brought a lot of eyes to the space. Um, you know, it was very, you know, a dodgy move by them because it's basically trying to like put themselves in the heart of this industry where they're not really wanted. But it's nice to have a bad guy um, to, you know, to rally against. And it finally, you know, made people like my mum realise that I wasn't crazy and I was actually onto something. Um, Validation, right? Like, yeah. Exactly. exactly. I I can't get to that point. Um, I'm the youngest uh, in my family and none of my family are are in the digital space to any extent and my oldest brother's a a, an old school brand guy right so he's run a branding agency all his life and you know they do big property developments and stuff and and they just don't get it and i'm like i promise you i'm not wasting my life you know i'm actually doing something and so yeah yeah, it was nice to have some validation (laughs) yeah it's it's funny that it's um great to see how how especially with us and with our community that we've built we have been the first step for so many people into this world mm. and we've tried to do so in a way that actually empowers and educates as much as possible like i said before so many people in this industry or in crypto as a whole very much have trial by fire you know something goes wrong and they lose a bunch of money at some point that doesn't have to be the way that it is you know if we're able to build this easy introduction to the industry with lots of educational resources and a very welcoming friendly community mm. then it actually helps build a better foundation for the longer term goal here which is this incredible kind of immersive metaverse um, that everyone's rushing to build and i mean there's a lot i can say on on the metaverse as well in terms of um like if you if you look at what are currently kind of branded as the metaverse platforms like Decentraland and Sandbox, I think there's a fundamental flaw in their approach in that if you take Decentraland, for example, I mean, it's been running for a few years, but it was essentially released as there's X amount of plots of land. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you can jump in with your, you can own these, la- these pieces of land or you can bring in your own unique character Um, but actually if you go in 99% of the time, there's nothing happening and 99% of the the land parcels are completely empty because they're just parked by big investors who only want to sell them for more money later. So it's not really a metaverse. It's just a walled off game environment that isn't really immersive. Um, and in that sense, I, I, yeah, I real I think they're going to have to also, you know, adapt or die because, um it's it's unfairly geared towards basically oh any early adopters can come in and just buy everything up and then you know the laggards don't really have an entry point whereas if you want to build a true metaverse it needs to work on the concept of infinite scalability oh sorry infinite scarcity um and that it means that essentially we allow people to or we allow rights holders to build immersive worlds that bring the best of social media and AAA title games and you know uh, multimedia uh, multiplayer environments together, but do so in a very curated um, 
an, an immersive space that feels like somewhere you want to be in um, and has some elements of unique uh, user ownership, much of which is kind of hidden below the surface in the sense mm-hmm. of what we're doing with the underground. You know, your home is underneath. So you it doesn't really mean that you have these empty plots of land. Um, but so, so therefore there is scarcity within these worlds. However, new IP rights holders can build their own world and build another immersive environment there that also has scarcity, but then it can, you know, you can infinitely build more and more of these worlds. And obviously the best worlds, the coolest worlds, the Marvel world or whatever will all be very in very high demand. Mm-hmm. But the ones that don't work very hard on building and strong community or building really immersive, fun environments will will quickly fade out and die. Yeah, and do you uh, like right now building these worlds? You've got a few key big players, um, the the bad guy in the room, as we, we've already touched on, uh, who seems to be talking a lot of talk at the moment, but not really producing a hell of a lot of interesting or engaging content. Maybe it's coming. Um, do you think that this might be a way of like, you know, I talked to my friends about it and I said, when was the last time you got to play with your money, right? Like, you know, you, you work hard all week, you get your pay packet at the end of the week. It, it, it It's not a fun fucking thing at all. You know, like no. I watch it come into my account. I watch it go out of my account. I end up with a handful of tangibles as a result of it. And uh, the only play that I can do is maybe take it to the casino and then just hand it to the casino while I watch some lights flash or some dice roll or whatever that, that looks like. But yeah. for me, one of the things is I've been making money in the NFT space and having a fuckload of fun doing it, right? Like getting involved and understanding these cool projects and getting involved in these communities and meeting all these people and, you know, just... And, and it, it's it's completely devoid of this right to passage that the current sort of physical world is, right? Like if I start in a job, I've got to start as a shit kicker and I've got to earn the right to kind of get up into the and get my seat at the table. Whereas it feels like in the metaverse and in this decentralized space, anyone can come in and have a seat at the table. And if you bring value, then you're welcome, you know? So I talk to people about the idea that um, the NFT space or this decentralized economy that's being built has the potential to make earning money a fun fucking thing right like there's this project that i looked at my pet hooligan i don't know if you saw that one but that yeah. looks like a whole lot of fun and you, you can make yeah. money and and that, the asm thing which we haven't really talked about um where they're they're creating a, an ai driven metaverse game that you can effectively earn an income from being involved in and and, and you can make physical you know income yeah. from playing a game like it just yeah seems... i mean asm uh, are so much more than just a game they are the kind of underlying protocol for owning artificial intelligence so say if i have you know 10 nfts i'm, I'm only uh, avatars i'm only ever going to be using one at a time but what if i can put an ai brain in these other ones and set them off into the metaverse to do things for me whether that's mining cryptocurrency or you know running a shop you know, being mm-hmm. one of these NPC characters that exist in that game environment, um, there's you know they're they're building out this this AFA artificial intelligence football association as just kind of a basic use case, which in of itself is a really cool game that they're building. But it's essentially just them saying, "Hey, we're just doing this to show you what's possible," while we build out the tools to allow anyone to be able to utilize our protocol and train brains to do whatever they want, really. 
and that's that is what you know. That's I'm, next level shit, and 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 I wanted to kind of finish <laughs> the podcast yeah. and and give people a sense of you know what's coming, what, what what's coming down the pipe, because at the moment, to someone coming in, it feels very almost two dimensional, right? This whole concept of the metaverse doesn't actually exist yet. You know, I've got some party bears. Um, big up to big shout out to party bears. Go on to OpenSea and check out Party Bear. Um, but you know, I've got I've got some NFTs. I've got some stuff. I'm building a bit of a collection because I understand that in the future I'm going to be able to do some shit with these these things. So talk to us, talk to people about what's coming and and why it's so important to get involved now rather than sit back and wait. And that's that's I think just on that note as well to say that yes, like every project launches with a massive promise of what is to come. Mm-hmm. But I think much like the dot-com bubble, 99% of them will dissipate into nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, and this is just, I guess, uh, some some advice for anyone who's looking to break into the space. Everyone will try and shill you and tell how tell you how their project's going to be incredible and it will lead the metaverse. But as just a one thing, look at the team. If the team's anonymous, they're not even like proud enough to put their names to their work, then that's probably a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um if they don't have any experience in what they're building, it's another red flag. Um, just, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the hype with a lot of these projects, but yeah, you need to understand that at the end of the day, there needs to be a big team of people behind them that are building it. And for us, I mean, we've grown from three full-time employees five months ago to 30 now. Uh, we're looking to be around 60 by mid this year and probably 100 in about a year's time. Um, we, we're incredibly excited just with the range of partnerships and, and large kind of industry leaders that we're talking to now. Um, and also to be in a position where, you know, one of our biggest competitors, uh, is our partner at ASM in the (laughs) sense that, you know, they, we push each other constantly to do better. Um, and I think it's, you know, the metaverse is definitely coming. Um, it is kind of, you know, a little bit of putting the cart before the, before the horse right now in the sense that people are just throwing money at the space because they see the potential of it long term. Um, and as I said, you know, much like the dot-com bubble, like there will be a, a big clearing of a lot of these projects. Mm. But those that have a really strong team, have a really strong vision, have a really strong community will be the ones that will be, you know, leading this next iteration of the internet as we move into with three properly yeah it's really really good advice and uh you know from my point of view and i'm nowhere near as deeply into it as as you are but for me it was all about researching what's the utility behind it and uh, that 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 came from my introduction into this space which i came via crypto so i was learning about you know um what what i'm really excited about the the crossover between crypto and, and, and the metaverse is this idea that currency is becoming more about utility or function than it is about paper trade right so fiat currency we we all agree that this piece of paper is worth 20 us dollars and mm-hmm. with that 20 us dollars i can buy a big mac you know large fries and a drink and put the seven dollars change back in my pocket yeah. and we yeah. all agree that that's a thing mm-hmm. uh whereas in the crypto space it's more about we've created this platform that we're going to use to do to to fulfill x y and z function within society and that's the value of the currency it completely undermines 
this idea, you know, whenever anybody looks at me and goes, oh, crypto, that's, that's it's a load of shit. You, you know, it's, it's just anyone can create a crypto. And I'm like, yeah, anyone can. You know, anyone, yeah. can, anyone can draw some art and sell a fucking, you know, I can yeah. get my four-year-old daughter to splash some paint on a canvas and try and flog it off to somebody as a work of art. But mm-hmm. um, what, what I don't understand is how currency is underpinned by the value of gold, right? So they always come back to this concept of, well, gold but is a scarce resource. It's bullshit. It's zeros and ones. It's, it's, well, it's, it's, it used to be, though. There <laughs> used to be the gold standard. But in the US, the UK, all of them, that doesn't exist anymore. It's They've done away with that. And it's not, you know, if you go back however many decades, you could literally trade your note in for that oh. equivalent amount of gold. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the level of, and it is hyperinflation, it's not necessarily addressed as such. But if you look at it over the, the grand scheme of things, the value of, say, the US dollar versus how much the actual person, average person earns, there's a massive disparity from, I think it's the 70s, where you know they would track each other. The earnings and value were very much on par. And then earnings have just flattened out, whereas the value is just you know completely like one US dollar's worth a fraction of what it used to be. But it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't, fiat currency just doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, you know, I understand the utility of not having to carry around a kilo of gold and chip a little bit off to buy my food. You know, yes, I understand the utility behind that. But now, fiat currency, given that I don't carry cash anymore, and it's very rare that I, you know, might have five bucks stashed away somewhere in case I need a pie when I'm on the road or something. But even then, I still, yeah. I still use my card. Um, exactly. You know, the, the the point I'm getting to is, I feel like cryptocurrency is actually uh, has a stronger tie to uh value than fiat currency and this is where i think people are going wrong and i talk to people about crypto and say you've got to look at why the fucking coin exists what's its function what's it trying to achieve uh and then when you understand why it exists and the potential of what that technology uh presents as a as a function of society then you start to understand oh okay now i get it and uh you know ethereum to me was the big one right because well, Ethereum 2, uh, which is coming uh, mm-hmm. very soon, it's already being traded, to me makes a lot of sense because this entire conversation that we've just spent the last hour talking about is all because of Ethereum. None of this existed without that crypto, without the technology that that crypto uh, enables for all of this, you know, the, the ledger of Ethereum to, to, to make it possible. And I, I feel like people are just, you know, people who aren't, understanding or aren't involved in crypto really need to try and understand and wrap their heads around the value that you know like you say the the, the metaverse is coming whether you like it or not we're all racing to produce this it's the next wave of connectivity within humanity and it's all being built on this thing called ethereum uh so it would make sense that if all of that is being hedged against this technology then that technology is going to increase in value over time whereas what is the us dollar giving me that fiat currency where's the utility where's the function in society for that interest even in a savings account is barely going to keep up with inflation so you know worth like even worst case scenario if you dip your toe in and and you it ends up dipping a little bit it's okay i know but like long term to diversify at least just a smaller percentage of your wealth into cryptocurrency is kind of future-proofing yourself you know it's not putting all of your eggs in one basket 
it's knowing that there are fundamental flaws with things like traditional fiat currencies um, and trying to kind of hedge yourself against what could happen there. I mean, there's mm. countless times that that countries have, you know, their currencies basically just fallen into hyperinflation and and suddenly everyone's queuing up with wheelbarrows full of cash to try and buy some bread sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the world deals with just the, the sheer amount of money that has been printed over the last few years. Um, but, yeah, I think for anyone who has any kind of inkling towards future-proofing, um, just just buy a little bit of cryptocurrency and, and see what happens. Just make They're not sure going away, you right? If you, you, no. There's, there's no, exactly. blue-chip cryptos. You know, Bitcoin, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that Bitcoin over the next, say, decade could go to a million bucks a coin, right? It's, a, it's this scalability and scarcity that you were talking about a minute ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although I don't see a hell of a lot of value and utility being built into Bitcoin anymore. It feels like it's the crypto punks of the of the cryptocurrency space, right? It's this legacy. It was the first one. But it almost feels like that's the gold that everything's being benched against, right? So if you own a bit exactly. of that, you're getting benched against that. So, you know, Bitcoin's a safe bet. And even though it's 10 grand a coin or wherever it is at the moment, 60, 70 grand a coin, uh, you know, buying a fraction of a fraction of a coin is still better than having none at all. And then yeah. I look at some of the other ones like Solana and Polkadot and some of these ones that are that are building utility into niche markets that are hugely valuable and hugely scalable and at the moment are really, really brand new and cheap. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense not to have a bit. I mean, you know, I, I, anybody that talks to me about not wanting to invest in crypto or sees crypto as a, as a, as a, a, a bad investment choice or, a you know, it's a bubble that's going to burst. I just showed them Solana over the last 12 months. You know, it's 10,000% increase. If you had thrown a thousand bucks at Solana a year ago. You, you yeah. I mean, Solana, it's, it's great what they're doing in terms of the, the how their proof of stake and how, how cheap and efficient it is. But mm-hmm. that actually a lot of it comes from the fact that they are quite a very centralized service, pretty much entirely owned by VCs. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not one that I would personally recommend. But there are a lot out there that you can, can can look at, and I think Ethereum and and Bitcoin, you know, as a whole, because they are very decentralized. You know, it's not a company there behind it that's running it. There's no CEO of Bitcoin, there's of, of or Ethereum, um, and that comes from the true nature of the decentralization. Um, that's really where the exciting things are, and I think yes, a lot of these ones have come out to to solve kind of immediate issues with like the scalability of ethereum but as we say with the updates that are coming through from ethereum 2.0 um you know i think a lot of these other ones will will become less rapidly go to well zero because yeah, yeah because you know it'll it'll reclaim well it already is you know the second biggest market cap um and i, I honestly don't think it'll be far off from from fl- flipping bitcoin's market cap within the next six months mm, I, I think you're right um yeah I, I think you know the smartest thing to do and we should probably finish on this is the one piece of advice you can take from this uh, this awesome conversation that uh, that we've had, and hopefully people have, have managed to glean a little bit of an insight into what an NFT is and why they're so important and, and, and where it's all going is you know buy Ethereum. It's uh, it's a it's like backing the horse that you know is going to win the fucking race. Like <laughs> it's, it's it's actually on sale right now as well. It's just it's taken just, a bit of a dive yeah, today, which dive, which yeah. most people like. You know, a lot of people, especially people that haven't been in the industry for very long, 
will panic but then you know people that have are like oh it's on sale all right mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you really so. want to supercharge your ethereum jump <laughs> on to uh fluff.world or, or, or check out nonfungiblelabs.xyz for the next project i was going to try and hit you up but we've run out of time alex so maybe the next time we get together mate I'll hit you Next up for, for, sure. for some uh, some insider information. But I know that if you're following them uh, online or uh, jump into their Discord is probably the main place you'll get uh, the inside information and buy, uh, buy some of the NFTs that are uh, available through that community because they're going up at a rate of knots and the, they're hedged on Ethereum, which is also going up at a rate of knots. So you kind of get this double uh, growth uh which is a which is an amazing opportunity right now yeah yeah awesome mate look thank you for giving up awesome. uh, some some of your time to uh to talk to me today i really enjoyed uh the chat and uh look forward to catching up with you again soon and is there anything you wanted to to, to shout out to anybody before we uh finish up um no i mean yeah this has been a lot of fun as i think you've done a great job of, of you know telling people where to come and find us um yeah i think discord really is probably the best place to come and to find as much information it can be a bit overwhelming at first but our community is you know very helpful if you have any questions just jump in there and ask they'll be more that more than happy to help point, point you in the right direction and um yeah hopefully we'll see you in the metaverse soon yeah no doubt cheers alex thanks everybody Amazing. catch you next cheers, time Trevor. see you bye